Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Please open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. As we continue to travel down Route 66, looking at one Bible, or excuse me, one book of the Bible every Sunday, giving you one sermon per Bible book, I want to remind you that, uh, that this is a good time to uh, try to read through your Bible, to kind of keep up with the pace as we go through the Bible in this sermon series. Uh, obviously, that'll be a little more challenging when you get to some larger books but there are many shorter books, and so you, you will get a break if you try to do this. So it's not too late to start. If you didn't start at the beginning, I would just encourage you pick up with Numbers next week. That's where we'll be. Uh, actually, Brian will be preaching next Sunday, so we'll be at Numbers in two weeks. So you get an even longer period of time uh, to, to catch up on our reading. But if you have been reading through the Bible, uh, starting in Genesis, and you've reached Leviticus, and perhaps you tried to get through Leviticus maybe this past week. This is often the time when people who are trying to read through the Bible kind of grind to a halt when they get to this book of Leviticus. Uh, We start reading through this, and we see how many details there are here. It seems kind of dry and and difficult, and uh, very often this is where we decide, I I, I give up. Uh, This is just too much to deal with. But I would suggest that you know, maybe part of the problem here is not so much what we don't understand about Leviticus, but what might put you off about Leviticus is what you do understand. Because if you read through this book, what you'll see is that there is a lot of sacrifice going on in the book of Leviticus. That there's a lot of blood shed in the book of Leviticus. A lot of animals slaughtered in the book of Leviticus. And this can offend our modern sensibilities and get us asking questions like, what kind of book is this? And it might also get you thinking, well, okay, this is something that was written so long ago that was from some primitive barbaric time. Certainly it has nothing to do with me, but I wanna tell you today that it has a lot to do with you and that what we're gonna read here is the very foundation of the gospel. There was a Christian singer, a guy named Michael Gungor, who um, fairly recently came out and, and he said publicly, he said, you know, the fact that God needs to be appeased by a blood sacrifice is not a beautiful thing. He said, it is a horrific thing. It's a horrific thing. And that's the question I want you to be thinking and that we're going to consider as we're going through this passage today. Is this, is this horrific? Is this something that should turn us off? Or is there something redemptive and beautiful and glorious actually going on here in this book? So we've reached the book of Leviticus. As I told you last week, I'm going to try to give you some basic information about each book. Leviticus written by Moses, the same guy we learned about last week, written probably between 1406 and Uh, 1446 BC, that's in between the Exodus and Moses' death. Somewhere during that time, the book was written. Um, 
significant events in the book of Leviticus, the sacrificial system, purity laws, dietary laws, various feasts, observance of the Sabbath, the year of Jubilee, and the theme of the book, which we'll spend some time thinking about today, is holiness. Holiness. Now, um, again, the reason why we're doing this Route 66 sermon series is so that you can see the overall story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God is telling a story, and it's a story in which you have a part. And last week, we looked at Exodus after three sermons in Genesis, and we saw last week that God freed his people, Israel, from the Egyptians. He liberated them from slavery. But as you go on through the book of Exodus, you'll find that freedom from slavery entails responsibility. Because God gave the law to his people, calling on them to obey that law. And he also commanded and instructed that a tabernacle would be set up. Because it was God's desire, after his people had been freed, that he would dwell with his people. That there would be an opportunity for his people to come into his presence in worship. And so he instructed the building of this tabernacle and the question that is raised and that Leviticus seeks to answer is how is it that this great God, this holy God, how is it that he can dwell and come into the presence of a sinful people? And and I would suggest to you that that is the fundamental question that every human being ought to be asking and that you ought to be asking and thinking. How can I, as a sinful person, come into the presence of a God whom the Bible tells me is holy, holy, holy? How is that possible? And Leviticus begins to give us the answer. So, I'm going to read from chapter 16. If you please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. Let's just go through verse 22. Leviticus 16, 1 through 22. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Asasel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Asasel. Aaron shall present the bull 
as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel." Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. O God, we ask, speak to us, that our faith might rise and our eyes might see your goodness and glory to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so you see what I'm talking about. (laughs) A lot of sacrifice, a lot of blood, a lot of violence. So I'm going to try to answer three questions here. Why were these sacrifices necessary? How did these sacrifices work and what do these sacrifices mean for us today? So the first thing is this, why were these sacrifices necessary? Why was this required, all of this bloodshed? Well, I mean, really the answer to this is fairly simple if we just remember the story. This is a story, right? So we got to read Leviticus, remembering what happened in Genesis. And in Genesis, you remember, God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. God told them that they shouldn't eat from a tree in the garden, and Adam and Eve did it anyway. And they rebelled against God, they sinned against him, and what God had said is, if you eat of that tree, you will die, Adam and Eve. And of course, that's exactly what happened, and we see throughout Genesis a history of various deaths in response to God's threat. So for God's justice now to be upheld as he relates to people, either the person coming to him, the sinner, must die or someone else could die. But because the wages of sin is death, that's what God said in the very beginning of Genesis, someone's got to die. 
Someone has to die. Now, your response to that, you know, if you're listening, I mean, it just might be a little bit alarming. I mean, maybe you're thinking, wow, I mean, God really drives a hard bargain here, you know? I mean, why, why, can't, why can't God just give us a break? I mean, why does he have to enforce his penalties so fully and completely this way? And, and the reason why he can't is because of this. It's because God is holy. He's holy. He says in the book of Leviticus to his people, he says, you shall be holy because I am holy. So what does this mean? Holiness. I mean, this is one of these concepts that's really hard to grasp. But really, the, the, the meaning of holiness is to be something that is totally separate, totally other, holy other, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other. Here's how... J.I. Packer um, defines it. He says, holiness is a word that signifies everything about God that sets him apart from us and makes him an object of awe, adoration, and dread. Dread. Have you ever experienced dread in thinking about God? It's a proper response to God's holiness. And as this chapter begins, this is exactly what we see happen. In these first two verses, an example of God's holiness being displayed. So in verse 1, it talks about this guy named Aaron. Aaron was the assistant given to Moses. You might remember from last week, Moses was afraid of going to Pharaoh. He didn't know how to speak, so God said, I'll give you an assistant. This guy's name is Aaron, and Aaron is the high priest. And we see here in verse 1 that Aaron's two sons died. So the Lord spoke to Aaron after this happened. So what happened? How did these guys die? Well, that's told to us back in Leviticus chapter 10. And there we learned that these guys' name were Nadab and Abihu. And these two guys tried to come into the presence of God. That, that was all they were seeking to do just wanted to come and worship God, and the result of that attempt was that God killed them. God sent out a burst of fire that consumed them and burned them alive. And it tells us in Leviticus 10 that the reason that that happened was because they attempted to offer unauthorized fire on, on the altar. And there's different opinions about exactly what that means. But the point is this, is that these guys knew how they were supposed to approach God, and they did it the wrong way. They did it their way. They didn't want to do it God's way, and so they came up with this idea and did it flippantly. Maybe they did know, but just were careless. Who, who knows? But they came into the presence of God in the wrong way, and God killed them. And so God then, in verse 2, says to Aaron, he says, Aaron, if you try now to come into the holy place inside the veil, it could end badly for you also. So don't come, or you will die. So we have two things here. We have God's penalty, that is death for sin, and at the same time, God's holiness. So we've got people under the penalty of death and a holy God, and these are the two entities here that we want to see brought together somehow. 
And this is the problem. How are these two going to be brought together? And the answer in Leviticus is by developing a sacrificial system whereby animals are offered up as sacrifices, where they are killed in the place of sinners. And if this is handled in the proper way, then there is a way for people then to come into the presence of God. Through these animals being sacrificed, sin will be atoned for, is what these sacrificial directions are are all about. I mean, you might think of um, holiness as being something like the sun, you know? I mean, the sun is a great thing, isn't it? I mean, the sun is what sustains our universe. The sun is what upholds life. The sun is a good thing, but you get too close to the sun, and it will destroy you. And God is very similar unless there's some kind of a way for sin to be atoned for. And so that's what this book is about. That's what chapter 16 is about. But we just get a little picture here in verses 1 and 2 of... um, of God's reaction. And, and so your response to that might be, you know, I can't believe this. Again, you know, it just seems like God is kind of cranky. And, and, you know, what an overreaction. I mean, he, they offer unauthorized fire and, and they lose their lives. What's going on here? And, and I think that the way to look at this is just to, to try to understand, again, this concept of holiness. I don't think any of us really get, and certainly in our culture now, we have completely lost sense of holiness. We, we, we don't understand the immense and great distance that exists between a holy God and a sinful people. I mean, this is a distance that is almost impossible to conceive of. And we see various places in the scripture where when people come into the presence of a holy God, they are terrified. Like Isaiah, when God appears to Isaiah, and Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I can't be in your presence, God. There's a place in Exodus where God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, you cannot look at my face and live. And there's a time in the New Testament where Peter is in the presence of Jesus, and Peter says, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. It's hard to be in the presence of holiness because holiness shows up our lack of holiness. And that's why people in general hate holiness, quite frankly. We don't want to be in the presence of holiness, so we ignore it, we dismiss it, and we don't think about it, but the Bible is telling us God is holy. So the right question here today, friends, is not really why did this happen. The the better question is this, why does this not happen more often? Why does God not pour out fire and kill people more often? In his holiness. Here's how um, R.C. Sproul says that the mystery of sin is not that the sinner deserves to die, but rather that the sinner in the average situation continues to exist. Your continued existence is dependent upon the grace and mercy of God. Because quite frankly, you deserve to die. And so do I. It's the penalty of sin. So these two guys, they came into God, God's presence in in an unauthorized way. And just by way of application, I I think we need to think for a moment. I mean, how how is it that you prepare to come into the presence of God? I mean, do you you think about that? You know, how how am I going to get ready 
to go to worship on Sunday morning? What's my plan? What steps am I going to take so that I'm in a good state of mind and heart to come into God's presence? Do you think about that? Do you have a plan for that? I mean, are there things that you do in the morning, Sunday morning, or on Saturday night to get ready? You're coming here to enter the presence of a holy God. That is not something to be taken lightly, friends. Now, yeah, we're in the new covenant now. It's different. That's true. That's true, and we'll get to that. But, you know, it also says in the New Testament that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the God the Bible presents to us. And that's one of the reasons why sacrifices are necessary. So, let's go to the second thing. How do the sacrifices work? How did they work here in the book of Leviticus? Well, chapter 16 is describing for us what's called the Day of Atonement. And this was an annual event in the life of the Jews, and it's still celebrated today. It's called Yom Kippur. Yom means day, Kippur means atonement. It was celebrated just September 18th and 19th, just last month. Uh, the, the biggest day on the Jewish calendar, a little bit like Christmas or Easter for Christians, was the Day of Atonement. And on this Day of Atonement, the idea was that these special sacrifices would be offered in order to take care of all the sins throughout the past year that might not have been covered under the other sacrifices for whatever reason. And the intent was that sin would be atoned for. And so that word atonement just shows up repeatedly here in chapter 16. And to atone is, can be defined this way. It's to, to cover, to wipe away, or to purge. And so through these sacrifices, the idea is that our sin would be covered up, would be wiped away and purged. And so here's how this would work. Um, here is a picture of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is not the temple. The temple comes up later in the story. The tabernacle is kind of like a portable temple that God instructed the people to put together, and then they would tear it down and move on to the next place. And um, here is the, uh, this is the place where God and his people would meet together. And so, uh, here are some of the main elements. This is the entrance to uh, the courtyard. This is the courtyard here. And this is the altar where uh, many of the sacrifices would take place. Uh, this is the basin. Uh, there's water in there. And so here's the, the high priests, and that's where they would wash before coming into this little building here, which is separated into two parts. There's the holy place, which is right here. And then back here is the most holy place. And in the most holy place, and this is the place where the high priest could enter only one time a year, and that was during the Day of Atonement, there is this Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the law of God, the law had given, that God had given in the book of Exodus. And on top of the Ark is something that's called the mercy seat. And we have a lampstand here and a bread table and some other, other things. And so... Uh, what chapter 16 uh, gives to us is a description of how Aaron, the high priest, was to handle these sacrifices. So we don't have time to get into a lot of detail here, but just as a brief overview, um, verses 4 and 5, we see that there's instruction given to Aaron to put on a, a certain kind of clothing 
that even his clothing should reflect his attitude. Uh, so there's directions about how he should dress. And then it also says that he should wash his entire body, actually, in that basin as he prepares to offer up these sacrifices. And then in verses 6 through 10, we get some descriptions about these two goats. There's two goats that are to be presented. And here at the um, entrance to the tabernacle, lots were to be cast to determine which goat would die and which would go free. So two goats, one's going to die, one's going to be liberated, and by kind of casting lots, kind of like throwing dice a little bit, um, that's how in the Old Testament often the will of God was determined. Verses 6 through 10 describes that. Now in verses 11 through 14, you'll notice that sacrifices were to be made for Aaron. You see that in verse 11? Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. And then that's repeated several times. And so there's something instructive there about those who lead in worship, that they themselves need to be right before they lead others in worship. Um, Aaron was the high priest. It didn't mean that Aaron didn't have a sin problem. He wasn't made high priest because he was sinless. He needed forgiveness and redemption just as much as his people did. And that same thing goes for the elders of this church and for Brian and for me. We are just as much sinners as you, and we need the grace of God just as much as you do. And it's incumbent upon us to prepare carefully for how we lead you. So verses 11 through 14, uh, we see that um, the bull is to be killed here at, uh, at the altar. And in verse 12, we see that Aaron is to go Inside the veil, I don't think I mentioned that. This is the veil right here, or the curtain, it's sometimes called. And so this separates the most holy place from the holy place. And this veil or this curtain becomes a symbol of what separates sinful men and women from a holy God. There's this separation. We can't just break through that. That's why God said to Aaron, don't come through here, you're going to die. But if Aaron does it the right way, he can. And so as he follows God's instructions, he's to take this blood of the bull and bring it inside the veil and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, it says in verse 14. And so there's something else kind of unusual going on here where you'll notice that a lot of the objects, the altar and the things, the tabernacle itself is being atoned for, it says. And I think the idea there is that even when objects come into contact with sinful people, even those things need to be accounted for and need to be set apart for such an important action as what is taking place here. Also in verses 11 through 14, um, <clears throat> we see this command to burn the incense, to put the incense on the fire. And it says uh, in verse 13, it says, uh, put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of the incense, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. <laughs> so, so even now, there's still this kind of threat, but if there's this smoke coming up from the incense, the smoke will act as kind of a protector between a holy God and a sinful high priest. And if he does that, he's safe. He won't die. And then verses 15 to 19 after offering sacrifices for Aaron and his household, we see that now he offers sacrifices for the people. You see that in verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil. 
So th this is the goat that, the unlucky goat when the last, the, the lots were cast. This is the goat who must die. And this goat is brought forward. It is sacrificed, again, sacrificed on the altar. And it says that uh, blood from the goat and actually from the bull needs to be brought and spread on the mercy seat. I mean, can you just imagine that? Just dipping your hands into a bowl of blood and just wiping it on these things. That's what God is commanding Aaron to do. I mean, just think about that. You know, sometimes we read this and we don't really think about it. I mean, just think about what it is to slaughter an animal. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a, I mean, goats are cute. You know, they, they climb in trees. You ever see those pictures? They get up in trees. I don't want to kill a goat. But that's what they had to do. Probably slit their throats and out poured the blood. They had to capture that blood in a bowl or something and take it back there. I mean, I hope what you're thinking is that's gross. That's gruesome. That's horrific. And I think God's response would be, yeah, that's exactly right. It is. Because that's how horrific your sin is. That's how gruesome your rebellion against God is. That's how disgusting your unbelief, your pride, your idolatry, your lusts, it's all gruesome in the sight of God. And it's appropriate that gruesome sacrifices would be required. I mean, you see it in verse 16, it's very clear. Why is all this happening? He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and for their transgressions and all, all their sins. <clears throat> Friends, holiness, growing in holiness is not just about learning to love God and, learning, and, and, and to love the gospel. It's about learning to hate sin, to hate your sin, because that's the only way you're going to be freed from the besetting sins that you can't seem to shake. It's if you learn to hate them. And I think that's the purpose of the book of Leviticus, to, so that we can see how much God hates it and maybe develop a similar aversion to it. But friends, there is grace, there is mercy in this passage, and I just love how this passage ends in verses 20 through 22. The goat that didn't have to die, the living goat, that goat is brought forth in verse 20. And it says that Aaron is supposed to lay his hands on that goat. Lay two hands on that goat. And what is going to happen as he lays his hands and confesses all of the iniquities and transgressions of Israel, it says that all of those sins somehow will be transferred to the goat. And then the goat is sent out and there's a person who is there, a man of readiness. And that person is to take that goat out into the wilderness and set it free. They don't want that goat running around the camp. That goat is not to be taken in as a pet. That goat is to be sent away as far out as it possibly can. And what we see here is a picture of what God intends to do with your sin 
and mine, to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west, to cast it all into the depths of the sea, to get it away from you as far as can possibly be conceived. That's the picture. Send that goat way out into the wilderness. Get it out of here so we never see it again. That's what God's going to do with your sin. And we find how that eventually happens when we get to this third point. What do sacrifices mean for us today? Because you might notice that I don't bring in a goat and a ram and slaughter it here on on the the altar. We don't have a basin. I've never killed a goat in my life, and I don't plan to. You know, this is not a slaughterhouse. We don't have to. why Why don't I do that? Well, the reason is because of this. Because God has sent the Lamb of God to fulfill everything that this chapter and that Leviticus points to. That there is a Savior who has come who has fulfilled every single instruction here. And his name is Jesus. Two things I want you to remember from this. One, Jesus sacrificed himself for you. He is now your high priest. You don't need Aaron as a high priest any longer. You've got a high priest named Jesus. Aaron was a sinner. Jesus wasn't. Aaron brought animal blood. Jesus brought his own blood. Aaron entered into an earthly tabernacle. Jesus entered into the heavenly tabernacle. Aaron died and he's still dead. Jesus died and he is alive. He he is our high priest now. And he's better than Aaron. And he's never going to die and he's never going to stop interceding for us. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, when Christ appeared as a high priest for the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places. Aaron had to keep offering repeated sacrifices for Jesus just one time's enough on the cross. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. But that's not all. Jesus has also taken your sin upon him. As Aaron had to lay his hands on that goat so that the sins of Israel were imputed, we might say, to that goat. Well, that's exactly what happened in Jesus. Your sins were imputed, laid upon him through faith alone. And now all your sins are on him and you are free. 2 Corinthians 5, for Our sake, he made him to be sin, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then lastly, what Jesus did is that the result of his death tore that veil. And it says in Mark 15, 58, that the veil was torn from top to bottom when he died on the cross. That symbol of what separated God and men is now wide open for sinners like you and me to come into his presence. And this is what Hebrews tells us also. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that's the veil, 
That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us now draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now that, that is the most astounding thing, given everything I've been telling you today about people who are burned alive when they try to come into God's presence. And yet what this is telling us is that because of Jesus, you can come with full assurance of faith. Assurance that you're safe that you're not going to get killed, you're not going to be burned alive, and in fact, God is going to welcome you with open arms, lovingly, kindly, mercifully. One other thing. Jesus sacrificed himself for you, but you know what that means? That you're called to sacrifice yourself for him. That you are called to sacrifice yourself for him. What does it say in Romans 12? By the mercies of God, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices. You don't offer yourself as a sacrifice for the atonement of your sins. No, Jesus was offered as an atonement for your sins. That's taken care of. But the only proper response to that is now for you to offer yourself as a sacrifice. Could it be said that your life is sacrificial? When is the last time you sacrifice something for your Savior? What, what might God be asking you to sacrifice for him? Maybe your time, your comfort level, your money, maybe your possessions, your entertainment habits, your pride, your ambition. The Christian life is a sacrificial life. Because we have a Savior who sacrificed for us. I'm just going to leave you with this CT stud. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Isn't that true? Isn't that true, friends? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord. You you, you are amazing. I mean, what you have done to secure our redemption is phenomenal. It blows our mind, Lord. And um, we thank you. We praise you. We're speechless in some ways, but we can live sacrificial lives for you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.